we've seen a kangaroo court take place. All of it was illegal. All because the chief priests and the elders and the scribes wanted one thing. They wanted to frame Jesus. They wanted to catch him in an act. They wanted to make sure they could, quote, put him to death. Remember I said last week the Sanhedrin court couldn't do that? They could only pronounce a penalty of death. They could not carry it out. But yet it's very evident that those 71 men made the decision before ever Jesus showed up in the courtyard and before he was taken upstairs to one of Pilate's, or excuse me, Caiaphas's upper rooms. And before that decision was ever made, those men knew they would convict him. Kind of like guilty and still, still proven innocent. That's the way it was in that court. We talked about the fact that it couldn't happen at the time it did. And, and I refresh your memory. Folks, we are at Friday morning somewhere after midnight. We know according to Jewish law, on Thursday evening, the Passover meal, the Seder, had to be partaken of after 6 p.m. and before midnight. So now we're at midnight. Now the arrest has happened. Peter has cut off the ear of Malchus, and now Malchus has been healed by Jesus, and they cart Jesus off to the courtyard of Caiaphas' home. courtyard was a center area in the home, and the hall, that meeting, was an upper room. It was a room designed big enough for those 71 men to gather together. But I want you to understand, Jewish law says you can't do this at this time. But yet, they got old Caiaphas up, probably one, two in the morning. And they're wanting to demand and call for a death sentence of blasphemy. Why? Because he said he was God. So we're seeing all of this, folks, from the shadow of the empty tomb. We know the end of the story, at least through the resurrection. We know what was about to happen. We know Peter was about to deny Christ, not once or twice, but three times. And we know that there was going to be for Peter the terror, the terror of a rooster crow. So got your Bibles with me? We're back where we've been in the Scripture in Mark chapter 14 because we want to begin in verse 66. And I want to just walk you through this morning three things about the very denial of Peter. He had previously been warned by Jesus that he would be the one who denied Jesus. I think of Mark chapter 14 and I back up to verse 27. Let me read it to you. Then Jesus said to them, all of you, he's talking to the disciples, are going to run away and stumble. Because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But after I have been resurrected, I will go before you. I will go to you in Galilee. And listen to what Peter says. Peter says, if everyone runs away, I certainly will not. The Greek literally says, I'm going to stick there. Nobody's going to pull me away from you. Matter of fact, I assure you, I mean, I'm going to stay there with you. No matter what. I would die for you, Jesus. That's what these words mean. And in the next verse, verse 30, I assure you, Jesus said to him, Today, this very night, 
before the rooster crows twice, you will deny that you even know me on three separate occasions. And then Peter reinstates what he said a minute ago. He kept insisting, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all eleven of those men said the same thing. Despite such a hard warning from Jesus to Peter, it didn't soften the blow of the terror that night of that rooster crow early on Friday morning, which was the day of crucifixion. Folks, we're not midday here. We're not days past. We're just a few hours or a few minutes past the arrest of Jesus. We've now moved into midnight. We're now into the early morning hours of Friday. And we know that by 9 a.m., according to Scripture, of Friday morning, Jesus would be on a cross, crucified between two thieves. The Jewish night had four watches. Mark chapter 13, verse 35. Just listen. It says, Therefore be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether it is evening, midnight, or the crowing of the rooster, or early in the morning. Jewish days began at six in the evening. So since the evening was from 6 p.m. until 9 p.m., then the second watch of the Jewish night was called midnight. It was from 9 p.m. to 12 midnight. The third watch of the Jewish night was from 12 midnight to 3 a.m., and guess what it's called? Cock crow. And from 3 a.m. till 6 a.m., the fourth watch of the Jewish night was called morning. Isn't it interesting that the Scriptures say all these denies of Peter took place during cockcrow, the third watch, 12 midnight to 3 a.m. Remember, had to have eaten the meal before midnight. That was Jewish law. And now you've got a three-hour time span in there. And does the rooster crowing twice indicate somewhere around 2 a.m.? Don't know. But remember, the court has convened. The word Sanhedrin means to gather together. They are all 71. Can you imagine waking up 71 men at 1 plus in the morning to have a courtroom hearing? Well, no, this was a jury trial. Well, no, it was a kangaroo court. Now here it's all happening, upstairs. And while all that's happening upstairs, there's another trial going on in the courtroom. And it involved one man, and his name was Peter. So there are three things I want to tell you about this morning. The first thing, it's in your outline. It's called the situation. It's called the situation. Mark chapter 14, verse 66 the first verse in our Scripture, while Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's servants came. It's done now. 
71 members of the Sanhedrin court. They got their way. Their ends had justified their means. And now the verdict was given. They would recommend that Jesus was now deserving death by execution for the crime of claiming that He was the Son of God. And now, only two of His disciples have returned. Now, they are from afar off at a safe distance. Peter is now a sought-after criminal. He was taking his life in his own hands by even showing up. John chapter 18, verse 15 says, Meanwhile, Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest, so he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. Once again, we believe that this disciple is John. It's John writing about himself in John chapter 18, verse 15. And so when Peter and John arrive at the palace of the high priest, John, who is known by Caiaphas, is allowed to enter the, high, the, the, the courtyard with Jesus. What happens is this. The Bible says John goes back out. He speaks to the slave girl. She's the gatekeeper. She is the portress. P-O-R-T-R-E-S-S. She is the slave, the one who is the keeper of the gate, watching the door. John chapter 18, verse 16. Peter remained standing outside the door. So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper, and brought Peter in. That's how Peter gets into the courtroom. And remember, even coming in that courtroom, he risks being recognized. He just tried and successfully cut off Malchus' ear. Jesus healed that ear. But even more, he's a sought-after criminal because he's a Galilean. He's a follower of Jesus. Peter said, look, I will die with you no matter what. Peter said, I'll stay by your side. And yet Jesus says, the situation is this. This night. This night. Before the rooster crows twice. You will deny that you even know me. Now hop in the shoes of Peter for a minute. Those disciples, remember the Greek? We talked about it in terms of running away. They were terrified. They were terrified of their life. Peter was just as terrified. But Peter and John at least came back and they stood at a very safe distance. But even being at a safe distance, if either, in particular, Peter had been recognized... They could have and perhaps would have faced the same fate as even that of Jesus. But the stage was now being set in the courtyard of Caiaphas. And Peter, trying to be inconspicuous, on that cold night air, was warming himself by the fire. Now, look at the second thing with me. That's the situation. That's where we are. But look at the second thing. Peter's what? Denial. Peter's very denial. Look at the Scripture. While Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's servants came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You were also with that Nazarene, Jesus. 
verse 68, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Then he went out into the entryway, and the rooster crowed the first time. Verse 69, when the servant saw him again, she began to tell those standing nearby, this man is one of them. But again he denied it, and after a little while, perhaps about an hour, those standing there by the gate said to Peter again, You certainly are one of them, since you speak and have the accent of a Galilean. Then he started to curse and swear with an oath. That's not profanity, incidentally. I'll show you why in a minute. And he said, I don't know this man, and I don't know what you're talking about. And then verse 72. Wow. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken the word to him. Before this rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. When he thought about it, Peter began to weep. The introduction to Peter's first denial of Jesus was led by the slave girl. And according to John's account in chapter verse eight, chapter 18, verse 17, it was this same slave girl who was the gatekeeper who first came to Peter. She had met Peter when John had introduced them at the gate to get Peter admitted to the courtyard. Again, John chapter 18, verse 17, Then the slave girl, who was the doorkeeper, said to Peter, You aren't one of these man's disciples too, are you? And he said, I am not. So this first denying, this first actual temptation, if you'd say, to Peter, happens because of the slave girl who was the keeper of the gate. Perhaps she had been a part of the crowds that had followed Jesus and recognized Peter as one of, the, of the, his disciples. She may have even been in the multitude. She may have inhaled Jesus just a week before when he came into the road in Jerusalem on a donkey. And then she says, I know you were with that Nazarene. And without hesitation, Peter immediately denies any knowledge of knowing that man from Nazareth. Such a contempt way of saying it. And then the rooster crowed. Now some scholars tend to think that Peter simply dismissed this first rooster crow because nothing is really said about it. I don't think so. I think it was God warning Peter that he was right in the middle of what the Lord Jesus had told Peter would happen. Jesus had already foretold to Peter that he would deny Jesus three times after the rooster crowed twice. And I believe this first rooster crow, this is my thinking, was a warning that Peter was now fulfilling what Jesus had said that Peter would do. Can you imagine the feeling in Peter's heart? Folks, there is no denying this. Peter loved Jesus. He loved Jesus with all his heart. But he was terrified of his life. And now he's in that garden. And they come up, this girl comes up to him immediately and says, I know you, you were with that Nazarene. And immediately, the first thing that blurted out of Peter's mouth in the midst of fear was simply, I don't know that man. 
So he wanted to protect himself. This gut-level fear caused him to immediately deny Jesus to that portress girl on that, in that courtyard that night. And with that denial, the Scripture says, he headed out of the courtyard by way of the covered exit leading by the street of Caiaphas' house called the porch. Well, he didn't make it outside. For things were just about to get even worse for Peter. The servant girl saw Peter again. This man is one of them, she told the crowd, one of his disciples. And Peter, the people knew exactly who these men were. They were the follower of Jesus. Matthew says the woman, not the slave girl, another girl. But the other Gospels refer to the very fact that she was this same girl that came back. But once again, Peter denies anything about knowing or being associated with Jesus, according to verse 70. And this accusation leads to Peter's second denial of Jesus. According to Luke, chapter 22, verse 59, the Bible says about an hour later, the crowd of folks standing there on the porch of the high priest accused Peter one final time. And they said this, You're certainly one of them. You are the Galilean. Why? Peter spoke in an Aramaic, in a different accent. They knew he was a Galilean. And all the disciples, but Jesus called Galilee home. He did have a different accent. This was like saying, Jesus is from the south, and you've got to have a southern accent too. Therefore, you must be one of his followers. That's how they recognized even Peter at that moment. And then, as a matter of fact, according to John chapter 18, verse 26, here's an interesting point. John says that the leader of this group standing out there by the porch was, in fact, a relative of Malchus. Remember Malchus? Remember Peter cutting off his ear? And then Jesus healed that ear? I went back to John 18, verse 26. One of the high priest's slaves a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off said, this is the third one, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Well, this last denial was it for Peter, folks. He began to call down curses upon himself. He is not using profanity. He is calling down a curse on God. It says basically, may God curse me if I know Jesus and say I don't know Him. Those words swear and curse with an oath does not mean that Peter is using profanity as you and I know it today. He is now placing a curse on himself, he says, that it would be God's curse on him if he would deny Jesus a third time. Peter's chest was bound to be pounding with emotion, and in his fear, his thoughts were flying. He's trying to figure out the mess that he's got himself into, and now his emotions both burst forth in a forceful demand, and he says, I don't know this man. And then he heard it, and it was the final blow. And Peter remembered. terror of that rooster club. 
reminded Peter what he had just done. But you know what? That's not the end. Sometimes we leave it at that with Peter, and then we move on. Here's a third point I want to share with you this morning. It's called the restoration. It's found in verse 72. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered, well, when Jesus had spoken the word to him, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. Now look at the last part of verse 72. When he thought about it, he began to weep. Luke chapter 22, verse 61, records Jesus looking down from Caiaphas' hall where the Sanhedrin was meeting. And I can just see looking out the window with his eyes, they were fixed on Peter. Can you see that? I believe it was not a look that said, Peter, I told you so. It was a look that said, Peter... I love you. I love you unconditionally. And my love is complete. Peter knew that he had done the worst possible thing to Jesus, whom he loved with all his heart, and Peter could not stand it anymore. The Bible says he cried. You've got to look at the Greek there. The word means he cried, but he wailed. Have you ever been with somebody who wailed? It's sometimes even without tears. It is a gut-level cry. That, that's no way to describe it, folks. It just comes from the gut. I, mean, I don't know how else to describe it. It is a cry that cries in remorse and hurt and grief from the very depths of your being. What Peter had done was wrong. He had denied his Lord not once or twice, but three times. And God's response was going to be complete, total forgiveness. The Bible says that Peter thought about it. The word in the Greek is epibalon. Remember that word epibalo we talked about? The word means to throw upon. The Bible is saying here, Peter threw his thought upon what Jesus had said. In other words, Peter could not think of anything else at this point other than what he had just done. Emotion and sorrow began to arise in his chest, and he felt those tears began to come. He had failed his Lord miserably, despite the fact that he knew Peter loved Jesus. And he might not understand what was happening to the Lord and the course the Lord had taken. But he should have been beside his side all the time. And as far as he could, he had made his way back to the courtyard. But as soon as he went outside, he literally, as it says in the Greek, burst into tears with such godly sorrow and weeping. Folks, Peter, we use the term in the South, cried his heart out. Or his eyes out. He just, he just wailed. He's just wailed. Have you ever been around someone in that deep sorrow and that deep grief and pain? 
All you can do, we've called it the ministry of presence. You can't say a word, but you can be there. Maybe a gentle touch. And I believe that look from that courtyard or that room upstairs in Caiaphas' house down to Jesus was that look. Jesus did not condemn Peter. He forgave him. Now, how do we know that? How do we know Peter was forgiven? You know, Mark chapter 16, verse 7. I love this verse. This is after Jesus' resurrection. But go tell, Pete, go tell his disciples. And who? Do you remember? Peter. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, just as I told you. That's one reason. You very look at the fact that you say, go to his disciples and Peter. Now, he has seen, brought and focused Peter out by himself. But let me tell you the clincher about the forgiveness of Peter. It's found in John chapter 21. Listen to this. You'll recognize the word. Now, mind you, this is after the resurrection of Jesus. John 21. Listen. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus and the disciples, Jesus said to Simon Peter, this is all after all this now. It's after the resurrection. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Could be these, everything around you, or these men, or everything you're looking at. And he said, yes, Lord, you said to me, you know I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. The Greek words are different here. Right now, I won't go into that. You just listen. The second time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord. He said to him, you know that I love you. Then, shepherd, take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Then he asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Well, Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time. And he says, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Peter, feed my sheep. I assure you, when you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you want to go. And he said this to signify by what kind of death he would glorify God. And after saying this, he just told him, follow me. It's the greatest picture, folks, of restoration you find in Scripture, the Gospel. The very fact that as bad as it was with Peter, God forgave him. I want to remind you, there's only one Scripture, there's only one sin, rather. The Scripture tells us that God cannot forgive. Blaspheme the Holy Spirit, denying the very invitation of the Holy Spirit of God into your life, rejecting Jesus Christ. That is the only sin that can never, ever be forgiven by God. My Bible tells me that no matter what, any other sin can be forgiven. Amen? So here's Peter. He did the most atrocious thing. And I know we sit here and we was oh, we'd never do that. Folks, don't be too quick to judge. You don't know how you would react. Peter thought he would never do it. But you know, Jesus could have said, had enough of you, Peter. You go on your way. I'm so glad Jesus didn't do that to Peter. And I'm so glad Jesus didn't do that to me or to you. He didn't say enough. He said, come unto me all ye that are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Wow. For Peter, it was the terror 
of the rooster crow. But for Jesus, it was just another way to share in complete, total forgiveness. Kind of makes the dying situation of Peter in a whole different light. Rather than look at it as Peter was the bad guy, look at that whole account as a story of the incredible restoration of God. I, um, King Gary is an incredible writer. He's written many books, One Intimate Moments with the Savior. He writes about the passion of Christ in this, and he writes about Peter. And at the end of everything he writes, he just simply lists a written prayer. And I want to read this prayer that Ken has written about Peter. It's really a, the perspective we're talking about this morning. Listen. It says, Thank you for Peter, Lord. He was a great man. He loved you so much. He left everything to follow you. In your name, he healed the sick, he cast out demons, and he preached the kingdom. For three and a half fateful years, he stood beside you. And when the soldiers came to take you away, he stood up for you. And when the others deserted you, he followed you all the way back to the temple courtyard. I confess, I would have never made it that far. Help me not to pass judgment on him, Lord. Rather, may his great and fervent love for you pass judgment on me. Help me to see that I deny you in so many areas of my life, in so many ways, at so many different times. When I'm too busy to pray, I deny that you are at the center of my life. When I neglect your word, I deny that you are even competent to even guide me. When I even worry, I deny that you're the Lord of all my circumstances. And when I turn my head from the hungry and the homeless, I deny that you're a God of mercy who's put me here to be your hands and your feet on this earth. When I steal something from another person to enrich or enhance my life, whether that be something material or some credit that is rightly due another, which I have claimed for myself, I deny you that you are the source of all blessings. Forgive me, Jesus, for all those quiet ways known only to you which I've denied you. Help me to pray for and encourage others the way you did for Peter. Even during those times that they may be in some way, they may deny their friendship, especially during those times. Thank you for all the times you've prayed for me that my faith may not fall. Thank you that there is no telling how many times I have been rescued from Satan's hand because you stood beside me. And thank you, most faithful of friends, that no matter how terribly I have failed you, I can always look into your eyes, and there I will find forgiveness. It was a terror, folks. Many of us have had our own rooster crow. But thank God for Jesus, who looks deep in our heart from an upper window, and sees us when we blow it. And he says, you know, I love you. I forgive you. Maybe you're in that shape this morning. All of us are, aren't we? We're all sinners saved by the grace of God. And perhaps you're not this morning. You don't know Jesus. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. That same Jesus that looked out that window of Peter is looking at you this morning. And he's ready to save you. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means all of us. It means you. And for Peter, remember, 
There was nothing he could do that ever would destroy the love that Jesus Christ had for him. There's nothing you can do that will ever destroy that love. And maybe you feel like, though, in your life, we're all in this boat. We feel like, and we have, folks, we've denied Jesus by our actions. How does God respond to that? Does he condemn us? Does he throw us out in the trash somewhere? No. He looks at you and he says, I love you. I love you unconditionally. And that love and that forgiveness is complete. Maybe this morning you just need to accept the fact that not only does God love you, God forgives you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I can't imagine Peter. I can't imagine the emotions the man went through. And as he stood in that courtyard and knowing what was about to happen, you had already prepared him. And then you gave him that first warning of the... Of the, of the rooster crowing. But Lord, that didn't stop him. He continued. He dug that hole deeper, as we say in this day and time, for himself. But Lord, you didn't leave him in the hole. No matter how big and deep of a hole we dig for ourselves, I am so thankful, Lord Jesus, that you're much deeper than any pit we think we can dig out for ourselves. And just as you reach down to grab Peter... You reach down to grab us. Father, may salvation take place in this house this morning. May people walk away from here knowing beyond a shadow of any doubt that, hey, they are forgiven. Their sin is clean. It's been taken care of. So, Lord, we say thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you, Lord, that we can be right here in this room with our hearts focused on you. We love you, Father. We love what you do for us. And a simple thank you of what you do, just doesn't say the attitude of our hearts. So, Lord, I know I speak for everybody in this house. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So this morning, we come to give you our heart. It belongs to you. Accept these words of music as our commitment to you of once again recommitting our heart to you. And Lord, perhaps there are those here who need to do business with you at this altar. Perhaps there's some that don't know you personally. They've never intentionally invited you into their life. Through the nudging of the Holy Spirit, you take care of that, Father. Now allow us to introduce them for the first time to Jesus this morning. You be in control of all that we've done, and we do. And we bless you and thank you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.